0: are listening to the podcast of Trinity Grace Church Williamsburg. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in Brooklyn. For more information on our church, please visit tgcwilliamsburg.com. there's a heaven and a hell on the other side of this. A couple weeks ago, I was sitting at a cafe around the corner from here and someone relatively new to this church was there having coffee with me and he opened with that question. And I do believe that heaven is coming to earth, culminating in the return of Christ and one day we will talk with Jesus about redemption in the past tense. And I do believe that God has a high enough view of love that with a broken heart he will let people live separate from him if we insist on it. But I did also have the suspicion that there was something deeper than just theological curiosity driving that question. So this is the backstory. Joey, that's not his real name, first moved to the city as a musician and started gigging around with a few different bands in the local scene and His days were spent managing rehearsal spaces to make ends meet and his nights were one adventure after another, just free and alive. And then his father died, quite suddenly. And he flew back home and paid his respects, but when he came back, his world full of color had faded into black and white. And so at 38, his free and fun life had lost his luster, and here he was sitting in front of a pastor, the only pastor with a service time that fit around his work schedule with tears welled heavy up behind his eyes, asking a question to a relative stranger, do you think that when the last breath left my dad's lungs there's a chance that he felt relief? Death is a rude interruption. Because without a conscious awareness of death, we live every day from the perspective of a long future that stretches endlessly out in front of us. And there's a certain kind of carefree freedom that comes from that, even if it's cheap freedom, even if it's just an illusion. And then there's a cancer diagnosis or a car accident. And the perspective just flips without us ever asking for it. And suddenly, we're forced to look at the present moment from the perspective of the inevitable end. And that vantage point redefines the present moment, even this present moment. The inevitable death awaiting you redefines even the cares, concerns, and plans that are dancing around your distracted head at this very moment. Iris Murdoch writes of a character's last thoughts in the novel Bruno's Dream. He had loved only a few people and loved them so badly and selfishly. He made a muddle of everything. Was it only in the presence of death that one could see so clearly what love ought to be like? If only the knowledge that they had now, this absolute nothing else matters, could somehow go backward and purify all the selfish little loves and straighten out the muddles but it could not. Death brings a certain kind of clarity, but it always brings it too late. If only we could see from the vantage point of our deathbed while we're still somewhere in the middle of our lives. Maybe we can. Psalm 90, Moses prayed, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. He prayed to see the present of his life in light of his inevitable death, and Christian communities throughout the centuries have done the same. Cornelius Plantiga writes, "A spiritually sound person disciplines her life by such spiritual exercises as prayer, fasting, confessing or confession, worship and reflective walks through cemeteries." Saint. Benedict said, "Keep your death close before your eyes each day." And in the mid-century monastic communities, they would insist on graves to be kept very near to the living. And on the tombstone of every monk that passed, there was the same phrase written, what you are now, we used to be. What we are now, you will be. So we gather tonight to reflect on the fact that we spend most of the time ignoring. You are going to die. And so am I. A day is coming, maybe at a predictable distance, and maybe sooner than you think, when all that stresses you, all that worries you, all that you fear, all that you dread, all that you look forward to, all that you indulge in, and all that you distract yourself with, all of it will cease. In the words of Genesis, from dust you've come, and to dust you shall return. So what is actually to be gained in this present moment if we're able to see it from the end that awaits us? Meaning, perception, and wisdom. First, we gain meaning. One psychologist tells of a suicidal patient inconsolable in the midst of group therapy. Her 11-year-old son had died and she was already a widow. She was left now with only her firstborn who suffered from paralysis since birth and was destined to life in a wheelchair, and so she insisted that her life was a tragedy too great to continue living in. The doctor then engaged the woman sitting right next to her and said, how old are you? 30. No, you're 80 and you're lying on your deathbed, and you're looking back on your life, which was childless, but full of financial success and social prestige. What do you think of it? What message does your 80-year-old self have for your 30-year-old self? And this is a true story, and this was her exact recorded response. Oh, I married a millionaire. I had an easy life full of wealth. I lived it up. I flirted with men. I teased them but now I'm 80, I have no children of my own, and looking back as an old woman, I cannot see what all of that was for. Actually, I must say, my life was a failure. And then the doctor turned back to the grieving suicidal mother and asked her, what message does your 80-year-old self have for you? I wished to have children, and this wish was granted me. One boy died, the other, however, the crippled one, would have been in an institution if I had not taken over his care. Though he is crippled and helpless, he is my boy after all. And so I have made a fuller life possible for him. I have made a better human being out of my son. And then she broke. And tears began to burst from her eyes. And with a broken voice, she continued, As for myself, I can look back peacefully on my life, for I can say that my life was full of meaning, and I've tried hard to fulfill it. I've done my best. I've done the best for my son. My life was no failure. See, viewing life from the perspective of death adds meaning to the present. And then there's perception. Perception. One thing that I always notice when I spend time with my grandmother is just how much more she notices than I do. She'll tell me the, store, or the names of the trees that are in her front yard and what they look like in the early spring. She'll tell me stories about the games the squirrels play out front while she watches them. It's like your body begins to break down when you get closer to the end, and so now you have time to notice all the things that you missed in your youth. The perspective of most first half of life spirituality expands our view of ourselves. God loves you so much as if you were the only one He created. God's plans for you are so big you can't even comprehend them now. And all of that's good. All of that's true. But there's an equal truth in second half of life spirituality you're not that big of a deal. And there's a certain relief in realizing that I'm just an extra in the background of a story that's about somebody else. I'm dust, according to Genesis. A dying flower, says the Psalms. Fading grass, writes Isaiah. The relief of the deathbed is the reminder that a little bit of faith in a great God is much better than plenty of faith in a God who can't deliver. And then there's wisdom, meaning the ability to live right now for the right things in the present. There are really just two targets that you can aim your life at your resume or your eulogy. It's either what the paper is going to say about you at your retirement or what the people are going to say about you at your funeral. And unless we're willing to look back at now from the casket, we almost always settle for the resume. I had an uncle named Bobby. He was a night shift janitor at a hospital in Nashville. And he got diagnosed with leukemia and died very young, when he was just in his 40s. And at the hospital where he used to mop the floors, they held a small memorial service for him, where a bunch of his coworkers gathered and a number of my family members. But there was also this group of really disheveled men who looked homeless, who nobody knew, and they were there uninvited. And as people began to share different memories about Bobby, one of those men spoke up and said, every night during the winter, Bobby brought us blankets on his way to work in the hospital, and then the next morning when he was on his way back home, he would pick them up, have them laundered, and bring them back to us the next night. This group of men lived under this one interstate overpass in Nashville and he got off at that exit to go to work and he did that for years without telling a soul. Not even his wife knew. And most of us would pass on Bobby's resume. But that eulogy, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. What matters in the present is always weighed properly from the end. So I'm sitting there sipping coffee across from this man who's just been utterly undone by the death of his father. Death, such a rude interruption, but also only an interruption. Just a brief passing interjection to a perfectly told story that was going on before us and keeps going on after. Facing his inevitable end, the death awaiting you and me, the only comfort is a God willing to choose his own end. A God willing to suffer, willing to die, willing to take the period off the end of the sentence for you and me so that the sting could become a relief. I love the words of the songwriter John Mark McMillan who says, come down from your mountain, your high-rise apartment and tell me of the God you know who bleeds, and what to tell my daughter when she asks so many questions, and I fail to fill her heaviness with peace. When I've got no answers for hurt knees or cancers, but a savior who suffers them with me, singing goodbye Olympus, the heart of my maker, is spread out on the road, the rocks, and the weeds. That very night, Joey, not his real name, right in the midst of the desperation, met the God who bleeds. And he saw not only his current life back from the perspective of his deathbed, he saw life beyond his deathbed. First Peter chapter one. All people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever.